Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us here at Trinity. And if you're here in person, we want to especially say thank you. Good to see some of you back for the first time in a long time. So it's always great to see your face. If you're online joining us, welcome. Thank you for joining us online. You're always welcome here, but we appreciate your presence. We're starting a new series this morning called Discipleship. Be one, make one. You know, Christians oftentimes go through their life struggling What does it mean? What does God want me to do in life? I don't understand everything that's going on. And there's a temptation in the Christian life to judge God based upon what we see. In other words, we look around in life and we see things that happen to us, circumstances, people that he brings into our life and different things that occur. And we oftentimes judge whether or not God is good based upon what happens. Let me help you this morning, that is a terrible way to look at God. If you look at God this morning, you can't look at circumstances in a broken world and form your view of God. You have to go to his word to do that. And this morning, that's what we want to do because I want to help you this morning understand what it means to be a disciple. A lot of times people struggle with this thinking that it's some detailed step one and you have to have step two and step three. But that's not what discipleship is. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply a follower, a learner, one who seeks to mimic or to be like the one they're looking up to. Thankfully, in the video, Sarah and Chris now have a young, beautiful little daughter that we can't wait to see. And uh, they are going to be pouring into her life, and she's going to be looking up to her mom and dad. By the way, that is discipleship within the family. Did you know that? There's also discipleship within a church family. I want to talk about this next week. It's interesting how God calls us a family. Older people are so valuable. Younger people are so valuable. The church is not meant to be one collection of a certain group or a certain demographic or a certain age. The church is meant to have lots of variety. So this week we're going to talk about step one, which was be one, be a disciple. So I want to ask you this question, and I wish we were in a classroom where you could talk back to me, but what in the world does it mean to be a disciple? Where can you take your finger in God's Word and put it on something and say, this is what Jesus tells me to do in order to be a disciple? Well, if you're looking at the screen, it's in John chapter 15, isn't it? So turn there this morning as we think about what it means to be a disciple. And I want to give you three ways, three effective ways, characteristics I would call them, three characteristics of being an effective disciple. So what are these characteristics? Well, thankfully, Jesus was uh, very complex and yet simple at the same time. And I've shared earlier that I pray to be a simple person. I don't like to be complex, and all of the staff tells me to stop praying that because God's already answered it. Uh, Be a simple person. I want to be simple. And the older I get and the more time I am in ministry and even in life, uh, I don't want to be complicated. I want to be simple, understandable. I like things to be right down there where they should be. And that's what I want to try to do to you and do for you this morning. Three characteristics. Jesus gave this wonderful analogy of a vine, a branch, and fruit. Anybody can understand this, even if you didn't grow up on a farm, you can get it just by the picture. I want to take just a minute and look over this picture. 
You have a grapevine that comes up, and obviously that big rough vine, you can see the little notches there that have been trimmed off. Uh, then you go on out and you see this little bitty sprig, which we would call a branch. And off of that branch, there's a little bitty other branch, and hanging from that is a cluster of fruit. Now this metaphor that Jesus used was analogous to the Christian life. He's going to teach us something by looking at a grapevine. Don't you love that? I, I just love Jesus. The more you get to know Him, the more you love Him. In other words, I'm going to show you something about this grapevine that's going to totally transform and change your life. So let it sink in. Three characteristics of this vine and this branch in order for you to become an effective, effective disciple. What is it? Well, number one, we have to know God's purpose and plan for our life. Know God's purpose and plan. There are a lot of believers this morning, and I was one of them, by the way, years ago. If someone had sat me down at age 28 or 9 and asked me this question, what is God's plan and purpose for your life, I would have had no clue. Instead of thinking about God's grand plan and God's grand purpose for my life, I would have been in details. Okay, well, I'm supposed to work this job. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. And all of these little details. But I would have missed the total idea of God's plan for my life. You're not going to leave here this morning without knowing this. You know what God's plan and God's purpose for your life is as a believer? And I don't care whether you pick up trash on the side of the street or whether you own a business that's the largest in Montgomery County. God has one major plan and one purpose for your life, and this is what it is. You ready? I told you I like simplicity. That you are to bear fruit. You are to bear fruit. And so bring glory to God. Now take your finger and put down on the text. And let's look in chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 this morning. Look at this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Here's the purpose clause. So that, why does he take away or why does he trim? So that it may bear more fruit. Now, hold on just a second. I've read many commentaries on this section. actually had to deal with it a lot in school. Most people who write on John chapter 15 deal with two types of people. Professing believers and real believers. That is a terrible, in my opinion, answer to this text. Jesus is not talking about that at all. He isn't talking about professing and real. He's talking about a believer is either one or the other. They either stay in the vine or they are cut off from the vine. Now, let me go back to my picture here. Where is my picture? There it is. I want you to look at that vine real close. Now, listen to what Jesus says. I am the true vine. And by the way, I could go into a lot of detail here. You know, God told the nation of Israel that they were to be his vine. As a matter of fact, you should write down right above true vine. Here's your good Bible study this week. You should write down Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5. God's purpose for the nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations and to the world. And 
in Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5, this is what he writes. He says, I planted a vineyard, I got all the rocks out, I cleaned all the dirt off, and instead of producing good grapes, you produce rotten fruit. But now, Jesus says, I am not like the nation of Israel. I am the true vine. By the way, there's a direct correlation here in the vine. I am the true vine. I am the one that's going to bring glory to the Father, and I'm the one that's going to help you in your life. And here's how this works. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Notice what he says now. And my Father is the vine dresser. Got the analogy? We are in Christ. He is the vine, and the Heavenly Father is the vine dresser. Now, what does a vine dresser do? Well, a good vine dresser is like a good gardener. They know what needs to go and what needs to stay. And this is so true in our life, isn't it? Now, notice what Jesus says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In other words, he snips it off the vine. He, he moves it out of the way. Now, hear me. Everybody says, oh, that's, that's the point that if you're not a true believer, God just cuts you off because you're a professor. That is not true. This has nothing to do about whether or not you're a real branch. It has to do with whether or not you're bearing fruit. Whether you're connected to the vine. But now notice number two. Every branch that doesn't, he snips away. But every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? You all read. He prunes it. You ever been pruned, by the way? Uh, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Pruning is a cutting process. I so appreciate Chris and Sarah's testimony. We've been after this for a long time, waiting and praying. Chris and Sarah, you don't know how long as a staff we prayed for you because we know your details, we know your situation. And we were on our face before God, praying that God would answer your prayers. And He did. And we rejoice with you this morning. Lydia is beautiful. I can't wait to hold her. And so many other answered prayers in our church. But... Sarah's own admission. She was walking after God. She was seeking God. And what happened in her life? Disappointment. What was the purpose in this? She said it herself that she would draw close to God. She didn't understand this. God is pruning, helping prepare her to bear more fruit. What is God's plan and purpose for our life? It is to bear fruit. Now look in verse 8 because he gets a little more descriptive. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You say, well, oh, prove to be my disciples? Well, if you don't bear fruit, you don't prove. So you're not, right? That's not what he's talking about at all. You all hear me closely once again. There is a huge difference in the Christian life between a believer and a disciple. Now, some people don't like this, but I don't care. I was one. I know. I had accepted Christ in my life. I accepted His death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for my sin. But I had no concept of discipleship, following Him, connected to the vine, abiding in Him. These were all Christian terms I'd never heard in my life. What do you mean, abide in me? What, What in the world does that mean? 
Nobody had ever sat me down and talked to me about the Christian life that once I had trusted Christ as my Savior, I had a responsibility in God's family to bear fruit. And the, the way I bear fruit is to abide in Him. In other words, when things get bad, I don't disconnect myself from the vine because of things I see and walk the other way. I've got to trust Him. I've got to stay in the vine. And when I stay in the vine, He begins to do things in my life because His life is being lived through me. And this is the analogy. When things get tough in life, we don't walk away. We don't disconnect from the vine. What happens in your Christian life? I'm going to give you an illustration. I have more time in this service. I know a believer one time that was struggling. Uh, they, were, they were a believer. And they were struggling about a life choice. Whether or not they would engage in something that they knew was dishonoring to God. And I want you to hear me closely. That Christian sat down and began to reason with me as to why they should disobey God. And I tried to reason back. If you, if you do this, I am showing you from God's Word where if you do this, you're basically telling God, I know what you say, but I know better. And if you do that in your life, you're going to walk away from Him. I'm not saying He's going to disown you, but you are not going to bear fruit in your life, and you're not going to have His joy and His peace and His assurances flowing through your life you're, you're going to be miserable. Well, this person knew better. And so they went their way. And as they say in the Proverbs, what you think turns out to be good ends up being a mouthful of gravel. And this person's life produced zero fruit because they decided that they didn't want to stay in the vine. By the way, this is so easy in the Christian life, isn't it? We, we think we, we know what brings us happiness and joy, but we miss God's ultimate plan and purpose for our life. What is God's plan? It is that we abide in the vine, that we bear much fruit. So critical. First characteristic, we have to know His plan. He wants us to bear fruit. There's a second characteristic, and that is we have to live in His power. Look in verses 3 through 7. Already you are clean. All, all 11. Judas had already left. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Isn't that wonderful? Clean. Clean. Christian, are you clean this morning? Are you clean? Or did you come to church dirty? I'm glad you did, by the way, if you, if you did. Glad you came. You know, one of the great things about coming to church is we hear the truth. And we live in ways throughout the week, perhaps, that dishonor God, that don't please Him. But we hear His Word. And His Word cleanses us. It causes us to ask for forgiveness. We know what's right to do. But sometimes we choose not to do that, don't we? And God in His graciousness cleanses us. Jesus says, the word that I have spoken to you has caused you to be clean. What is it that cleanses them? Look at the text. It is His Word. His Word that cleanses us. Abide in Me, 
and I in you. Look at this connection, Vine. You remain in me, and I remain in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If we don't remain in him, we cannot bear fruit. I just love simplicity. You know, I mean, think about this. Karen and I planted on some tomatoes this year. I'll, I'll give you a tomato analogy. There was an old farmer down in North Carolina who used to tell me, he said, you've got to pick the suckers off the tomatoes. He called them maters. If you want big, lush tomatoes. He says, because if you don't, the suckers will steal all of the major uh, nutrients from the big tomatoes. So I did some experimenting. I've tried it both ways. I pulled the suckers off some, and then I let the other ones grow. And, you know, in several instances, I found out he was right. You had to prune the thing. But you can also take a sucker, did you know this, off of a tomato plant, and uh, it's the one that grows up in the fork that has a bloom, put it down in a jar, and that thing will grow roots. And this is how you help greenhouses go out of business. You, you plant your own suckers after you get a start, and they'll grow and you have fall tomatoes. But the point is this, if you ever break one of those branches off and it disconnects, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wither It's not going to produce not one tomato. It's going to wither. Why? Because it's not connected to the vine. Does that mean it's not a branch? Does that mean it wasn't intended to grow a tomato? No. And the same thing's true with our life. When we are not connected to the vine, we are not going to bear fruit. So abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. In other words, in our Christian life, and when we think about fruit, we could go off and be fruity about fruit. Did you know that? I've heard sermons on fruit, left and right. Fruit is this, fruit is that, fruit is What is Jesus talking about here specifically? about fruit well primarily he's talking about abiding in him and letting him work through our life to let his life be made known to others through us and in this text it is primarily through love i'm going to show that to you in a minute it's love when we stay connected to the vine god supernaturally enables us to love people that we couldn't on our own. Now, if you want to know something that's life-transforming, you're talking about living in God's power. This is true whether it's in marriage counseling, whether it's in counseling with people with problems and children and all kinds of issues. When, when we abide in Christ, He supernaturally, and don't ask me to explain this, He supernaturally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, lives in us and enables us to handle circumstances and to show His love and His grace and His mercy to other people that we could never do on our own. You want to know why? Because He's the one that's doing it through us. If if you think for one second that you're going to be able to show somebody unconditional love and grace and mercy and compassion without Almighty God working through our life, We're all in for a big failure. 
How many times have you woke up as a believer and said, God, you're going to have to help me here because unless you do this through me, I can't do it. And Jesus says, that's exactly where I want you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to give you an analogy that you'll never forget. We all take Christmas trees into our home. You all like Christmas trees. I do. I like to put a good Christmas tree in the house and sit back and watch somebody else decorate it because I can't stand decorating. Uh, thank, thank the Lord for people that love that. I'm one of the ones that enjoys it but doesn't like it. But I sit there and watch that Christmas tree and it goes from an old bush, you know, green bush, and the boys start hanging stuff on it. And then they drape things around it. As I was reading this and thinking through this, I thought, you know, a lot of times Christians try to produce fruit, not organically by it coming through our life, but we try to hang it on, don't we? Just like a Christmas tree. You know, that Christmas tree didn't produce one of those bells. It didn't produce any of those lights or any of that nasty glitter that gets all over the floor. We hung all that on. We, we do that in our Christian life, don't we? We're not, we, we are not abiding. We are not expecting and trusting Christ. We're not walking with Him, letting Him live through us. We oftentimes try to hang stuff on ourselves to make us look good. I'll dress this way. I'll act this way. I'll pray this way. You know, by the way, you can pastor a church and not abide. You can counsel people and not abide. You can raise a family and not abide. But I want to promise you something. The only kind of fruit you'll have is hanging fruit. It won't be organic fruit unless we live in His power. Now, we don't want to be a Christmas tree, do we? We, we want to be a flourishing vine that bears much fruit. But if we're going to do that, we have to live in God's power. Verse 10 Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments. By the way, this is an interesting study because I, I did some research on this years ago and just look back over some of it I had done. People have went through the New Testament and this is what they've said. Well, if we're going to keep Christ's commandments, we have to know what they are and they've tried to list them all out. And there's this big argument, are there 48 or are there 49? I personally think they're all wrong. I don't think there are just 48 or 49 or Jesus just said, search through the red letters in the first four Gospels and those are my commands. And I, somebody wrote a big article about this and you know, put it online. You are to do this and do this and do this and do this. And it was a list of 49 do's. And one poor Christian woman, God bless her heart, came in under there amidst all this explanation and she said, this is the most discouraging thing I have ever read in my life. She said, I can't keep all 49 of these commandments. She said, that is totally impossible. And the originator of the post, by the way, was dancing around the barrel trying to explain, well, I mean, uh, well... Uh, and finally, some gracious Christian comes on there and says, let me help you, ma'am. None of us can. 
And that's why Jesus came. And that's why He died on the cross for your sin. And that's why He empowers you to live in your life. Because the way you keep His commandments is you abide in Him. And when you do that, He lives through you and you glorify Him by responding in obedience. You don't have to worry about a list. You don't have to worry about perfection. And did I break number 27 today? He said the list is gone. And here is the command. That you love me and love one another. By the way, you should circle that word commandments. Because there's a, there's a play here between plural and singular all throughout Jesus' ministry. Obey my commands. And he'll say, obey my command. Singular and plural. You should study that and figure out what he's meaning. But in this particular verse, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So the, part, the point here is, we have to live in God's power if we're going to be an effective disciple. We can't do it on our own. Number three. And you said, thank goodness, hurry. Number three, this is to be an effective disciple, by the way. It's just as simple as I can get it. Know God's plan, live in God's power, and third, value God's family. Do you have any clue this morning what Jesus has done for you? Do do any of us have any clue what He's done for us? Well, I'm going to show you something this morning I hope just shatters your heart with joy. Look in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How much did God the Father love Jesus? That's a whole bunch. And Jesus said, just as much as the Father and just like the Father has loved me, I'm going to transfer that love to you. I want you all to see the connection here. Because a few verses down, he's going to say, this is my commandment. You're to love one another. You all see the link? The Father loved the Son. The Son loves us. And what are we to do? We are to love one another. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. Oh, what a sweet verse. Remain in my love. I love you. Remain in my love. Not do this, do this, do this, do Understand how much I love you and stay in that. I know you don't understand everything that's going on in your life and I know it's chaos and you can't see it and you don't get it, but I love you through it all. And I know what I'm doing. Stay in my love and don't you disconnect from the vine. By the way, what is so crucial about a local church? See, I can't wait. I, I'm going to get it on next week's. You know, one of the great things about a local church is when we all come in here with the understanding that we're all flawed sinners. We can, we can rake apart every bit of phoniness about the perfect Christian life and the perfect Christian because there's not one. And we can come in here and love each other, warts and all. Because we all have them. All of us. 
And that's why it's important to remain in a church family. We get to know each other. We love each other. We help each other. We care for each other. And we try to help each other connect. That's our greatest prayer. Abide in me, Jesus says. Abide in my love. Did y'all hear the ice slide? That's God affirming. That's my amen this morning. (laughs) Abide in my love. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Here's a question for you. Does Jesus expect us to muster up joy in our life to make it through? Answer, no. What does he say? He says, when you abide in me, my joy is in you. Automatically. When you walk with Christ, his joy lives inside of us. And what is the direct result of that? Out of his joy, because we know he loves us, out of his joy, our joy is overflows by the way speaking about understanding his love and his joy by the way that's what the value of god's family is number one your love number be a joyful christian nobody can ever take your joy away because they can't take your jesus away but here again and there here's five other sermons a lot of times christians struggle with understanding god's love you know i i sin i do this I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. I shouldn't think this, but I think it anyway. I can't be saved. Ridiculous. In order to abide in the vine, there are certain assurances that every believer has to grab onto. What are these assurances? Number one, you have to be assured of your salvation. You know, by the way, here's just a side note. There are different traditions that view salvation in different ways. One of those traditions believes and what they talk about, the perseverance to the end. In other words, a true believer will always live a successful Christian life, and if they didn't, they're not a Christian. They were, they were just an imposter, and they didn't make it to the end. You know, that's just not biblical. You say, well, how dare you say something like that? Let me ask you a question. If you looked at Lot in the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know him, Would you have ever called Lot righteous? You want me to go into his sordid life? Lot was a pretty rough fella. Yet, Peter calls him righteous Lot. Interesting, isn't it? We we have joy, we have love. We have to have assurance of our salvation. Assurance. Do you understand when Jesus died on the cross that he paid for all of your sin? Do you have that concept down? All sin means past Present and future. When you accept Christ as your Savior, your sin debt is paid for. And in the court of heaven, you have been declared righteous. You say, well, I don't feel righteous. I understand that. I don't feel righteous all the time either. But I know the truth in God's Word that it's been paid for. You know what that does to your life? It brings assurance that you're not going to be cast out of the family just because you mess up. The second assurance is forgiveness. These go hand in hand. But a lot of Christians live their life and never understand that they are forgiven. I know believers who have struggled with certain sins they have committed. They think that God could never forget. He could never forgive. Let me tell you something. When God says He can forgive, He can forgive. 
And there's no sin God can't forgive. You say, well, what about the unpardonable sin? That was a national sin for the nation of Israel. And when they rejected their Messiah, their kingdom was taken away and it wasn't forgiven. There is no such thing in your life as a sin you'll commit that God won't forgive. If you're a believer this morning, He has forgiven your sin for justification. Third, answered prayer. Do you realize this morning when you abide in the vine, Jesus said, ask what you will and the Father will answer it? I think if we were all convinced of that, we would pray a lot more, don't you? Number four, assurance of guidance. When we abide in Christ, He works through us in circumstances to allow things to happen to lead our life. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor of Moody Church, told a story recently. In a, he had this book, I, He Will Be the Preacher. Great book. Pastors love it. This is what he said. He said he got hired at Moody Church. Uh, at I'm sorry, at Moody Bible Institute. He was pastoring a little church, and him and his wife decided to go visit Moody that morning. So he had resigned his church, took a job as a professor. They were visiting Moody, and he knew the current pastor there, Dr. Warren Wearsby. He went and parked the car, tried to find a place on LaSalle Street, walked in about two minutes or three before the service started, and he said, Wearsby, come walking out the back door, going to the big door. And Lutzer said, Wearsby, where are you going? And he said, I'm sick this morning, Lutzer. You preach. And by the way, if you know anything about Moody Church, it's not a little small thing. It's huge. Thousands of people go there. And Lutzer said, he thought, oh, my gracious, in the morning, God, what are you doing? I came here to hear. And he was up. Little did Erwin Lutzer know that that was his first introduction to Moody Church, which several years later, he would come in behind Dr. Warren Wearsby and fill his shoes. But Lutzer tells that story right in the midst of God guiding our life. We have to be assured of that. This is part of being in the family. The Father knows what He's doing in our life. And He guides us. And then finally, the assurance of victory. One day, we walk this life in tatters, but hear me closely. One day, Almighty God is going to make us into the image of His Son, and our struggles and our sorrows will be over. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that will be. We don't know whether it's in glory when Christ comes at the rapture or whether we'll go by death, but we do know that we are going to ultimately be exactly like our Savior. I don't know if that brings you joy. The older I get, the more joy that brings me. Not because of body pain, but because of sin. I don't like it. I don't like it. And yet it hammers on the Christian every day. You know, sometimes we go through life and struggle. We don't understand how to get through. Jesus here lays it out in the rest of the chapter. I want you to read those verses, but I want to share something with you this morning I hope encourages you. You know, as we live through life and try to abide in the vine, things happen, don't they? And we don't understand A pastor told a story recently. His name is Tony Evans. His late wife Lois and him took a cruise on a ship down south. The captain came across the cruise ship 
And he said to all passengers, please buckle up. We are headed into a major storm. Major waves are going to come and rock the ship. Well, Lois didn't like that. She got on the phone and she called the captain's desk and she said, I want to speak to the captain right now. The assistant said, ma'am, the captain doesn't take calls like that, but I'm the assistant. I'll be glad to pass your message on. What would you like to say? And she said, I would like to tell him, first of all, that anybody that has any sense at all would know that you would stop this ship and put down the anchor and let this storm pass. And if he doesn't want to do that, we have plenty of fuel. Drive around it. Why in the world is he driving through it? And she went on with a big explanation about what she had in her life and her kids and this, that, and the other. The assistant said, well, ma'am, thank you for sharing your concern. I'll pass it on with the captain. And if he responds, I'll get back. A little while later, the assistant called back and said, Miss Evans, I've spoken to the captain, and he had two things that he wanted me to share with you. Number one, that he is the captain and you're not. And number two, are you ready for this? Number two, this ship was made for this storm in mind. I want you to know something this morning. Almighty God knows what He's doing in your life. You abide in Him. You remain in Him. And even if He takes you through a storm in life, you hold on because He'll get you out the other side. We need to be effective disciples this morning and not walk away, not quit. And whatever it is in our life that keeps us disconnected from the vine, get on your face before God and get it out of the way. Because we want to be changed, don't we? We want to abide in the vine. Father, this morning, thank You for this passage of Scripture that talks to us so simply and so clearly that we have to stay connected to our Savior to bear fruit and bring glory to You. And even when the storm hits the vine, even when the ice hangs on the branch, even when we're torn and battered, Lord, if we stay connected to the vine, we will bear much fruit. Help us to do that in our life. And Father, as we anticipate next week, help us to think about that in our church as we do want to make an impact on Christiansburg and our community and our county and even out into our world. So prepare our hearts, Lord, for what you're going to do in and through us as we anticipate your work in our heart and life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.